When you go out for dinner, you'll no doubt be presented with a drinks list. Sometimes they're short and succinct, and sometimes more like an encyclopedia. Aperitifs, beers, wines from all across the world, cocktails and soft drinks too, of course. But all too often, those drinks lists are quite predictable. In this episode, I want to tell you a bit about what we do to make our drink selections amongst the very best in the business. So I'm taking you inside a secret container which stores our very own whiskey. Oh my goodness, it's like oak, whiskey, all these beautifully stamped casks. And we'll tell you how to make your own unique drinks too, from your own champagne to a delicious alcohol-free summer tipple. First champagne I've ever had out of a mug. Oh, it's yeasty, isn't it? It's very refreshing. My name is Tommy Banks, and you're listening to Seasoned, the podcast all about my restaurant, The Black Swan, and the farm where we grow all of the ingredients. This is Seasoned, episode 15, Booze. Cheers. Before we get stuck into today's episode, a little reminder about my Well Seasoned Club. You'll know the score by now, but listeners to Well Seasoned get special bonus episodes and recipes, as well as a monthly newsletter and entry to our prize giveaways as well. At the end of July, I'm giving away a meal and a stay at the Abbey Inn. You'll get our best room overlooking the historic Abbey itself. You'll have dinner, meet me and the team, and you'll have an absolutely wonderful time. I promise. To be in with a chance of winning and to receive all the other member benefits, simply visit www.tommybanks.co.uk forward slash seasoned. Entry to my club is just £5 a month and there's a new prize giveaway every single month. Okay, so I thought this was meant to be summer. The weather has been playing havoc for the team on the farm. With showers, sunshine and more showers making it feel more like April than the middle of July. The rain there has been welcome. Lots of farmers all over the country have been relieved that we're not having another record-breaking heat wave. But it's not a great set of conditions to be gathering the summer berries which are finally starting to show themselves. In all said, we've got barberries and yosterberries, we've got red currants growing in the hedgerows and woodlands, and they're all delicious. I think that the yosterberry is a bit of a hidden gem. You won't find it in any of the supermarkets, I reckon, so your best bet is to get out there and find some, or grow yourself. They look almost black in colour. They're actually derived from crossing a blackcurrant and a gooseberry, but they've got the most incredible flavour. Even more fragrant than a blackcurrant, but with that sort of acidity of a gooseberry. If you imagine a blackcurrant, but like supersized to the size of a gooseberry, they're pretty special. If you're making anything with mixed berries, see if you can add a few yoster berries into the mix. You won't regret it. I've just got back from another weekend away cooking. This weekend, it was a Wimbledon Champions Dinner that I mentioned last week. It was amazing. At one point though, I was changing plans for it to be a midnight feast rather than an evening meal. Of course, the final went to five sets. It was pretty epic. I'm sure you watched it. But the players didn't get off court until seven o'clock. So uh, yeah, it was a late one for us. It was a real 
real fun service, a real honour to sort of be there. And it felt quite historical with Alcaraz uh, winning his first Wimbledon title. Um, but I did feel a bit sorry for the guy because as we were leaving at about quarter to one, um, he was still on the stage uh, giving interviews. <laughs> so there really is no rest for the wicked. Meanwhile, back up in Yorkshire, it's been the Great Yorkshire Show. Lots of you will have been there. It's a great celebration of all things farming and a celebration of the best things that Yorkshire has to offer too. My wife Charlotte and my little girl Poppy, they spent three days there looking at all the animals and eating all the food uh, and had a wicked time. So I'm sure lots of you did too. Today's episode is dedicated to drinks because I know how much you all like them. Back in series one, we invited Mel Gideroy up to the farm to make cocktails and the result was a version of a drink from her youth, the purple parachute. Sorry, that not, I knocked that back pretty quickly. That's delicious. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, it's deliciously fresh, that. I'm really good. It's not sticky, which is actually a good thing. We need to move on from that. The teenage years have gone. Let's put those behind us. That episode has become so popular that the Purple Parachute is now a permanent addition on our cocktail menu at the Abbey Inn. And you lot keep ordering it. Head of all things drinks at the Abbey Inn is Chief Barman Tom, who's had to learn a few things since joining the team a couple of months ago. Instead of meeting here uh, at the front of house time, like everyone else, I start my day at the Black Swan to cut all my garnishes, fresh garnishes for my cocktails. I go cut that, might take about half an hour, um, but you want to get the nice ones. So, you, so you've got to be looking around, you've got to get the nice ones, you get a bit of mint, lemon verbena, you've got to get the lavender for the gooseberry and lavender uh, iced tea, and then a full day on bar, pretty much. But it's also a very peaceful way to start your day. Yeah, I like it. Collecting garnishes and ingredients every morning direct from the garden is one way to make our drink selection stand out from the rest. But we have a few more secrets up our sleeves too. And those secrets are kept at a distillery a few miles up the road called Cooper King. So me and my brother James, who's the real expert when it comes to booze, well, he drinks enough of it, decided to pay them a visit to show you what we've been getting up to and to check out the progress on our new secret venture. Hello. Now then, how are you? Hey, good, thank good to you. See you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Oh, what is this you bought? Busy That's here today. Cooper King is a magical little place. It's surrounded by little cops of trees and farmland, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And as you arrive, it looks like a very slick but small wooden industrial unit. But don't let that deceive you. Owners Abby and Chris have built something of a monster, as I'm sure you're going to find out. Inside the unit, it's part distillery, part laboratory. There are scientific bits of kit littered all around and everything is sterile clean. And it's here that the guys turn our freshly picked herbs and flowers into the most incredibly flavored distillates. So we've brought you Lemverbena. Oh, ridiculous, amazing, citrusy, sherbet kind of oh, carry on. Lemon, sherbet, sweets, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's 
It's fantastic. And um, we've got marigolds as well, little tangerine marigolds or tidgets, depending on what you want to call Not them. Not that I turn anything back to confectionery, but I think they'd smell like round trees fruit gums. Mm. They do, don't they? That's I love amazing. distilling these because the distillery just completely fills up with the smell and it's just sensational. These marigolds really do taste like fruit gums and it's flavours like this which we always used to say we wish we could bottle up and use in different ways. And that's exactly what the guys at Cooper King do for us. These are the most exciting distillation days for me because I love the fact that you've had to pick them, everyone's had to muck in, get the right you know, leaf, the right flowers, and then it's down to us to turn that into some great spirit. Let's take these through. The process is the same as with making gin, but while gin can have a dozen or more different botanicals, all measured and blended to give a distinct flavor, in our case, we just want the one. So this is the, uh, the rotary evaporator, where the, uh, where the action happens. Yep. Exactly, so when, with the herbs and the flowers that you've brought me today, I'm gonna uh, chop these up. This is gonna take us a little while to process all of this. And then when we chop that up, we will then mix it with um, alcohol. So we've got a really, really neutral, high strength alcohol. Um, and that's gonna really help extract all of the flavor um, from these herbs. And then we're gonna put it through the cold vacuum still. So these are not your traditional gin stills. Um, they are more at home in a laboratory and that's exactly where they originated but they've been hijacked by distillers and chefs because of the flavour that we can get from them. So the flavour that we put in is really the flavour that we get out and we can tweak it so the temperature at which we distill is absolutely key because if I distill even five degrees warmer than what I do your um, distillates at it really destroys that flavour. So the beauty of these over sort of traditional hot distillation is to be able to preserve those very, very delicate floral and herbal notes. The liquid that we get is clear in colour, but anything but clear in taste. Just the smell is intoxicating. Looking up here, uh, we've got a, a shelf of, of botanicals. You know, obviously juniper is really important for gin but you've got coriander, lemongrass. I think you grow your own lemongrass. Yes, right? we can, yeah. Uh, and Angelica. Um, Angelica. So, uh, some of these are going to need distilling at a higher temperature and some of yep. sli slightly lower. So the Angelica, for example, is done both uh, warm and cold because we need the heat to bring out the really like earthy, woody flavours from that root. But it's also very floral. We get mm. some really nice kind of palm and violet mm. notes coming through. So that's where the cold distillation is really important because we're, we're kind of bringing as much from that botanical as possible. And so when I've distilled um, all of those botanicals together at the two different temperatures, then I will blend those distillates together and that will be the Cooper King gin, which we can then dilute down to bottling strength, which is about 40, 42% and then that rests for about a week because those flavours really need to marry. You know, when you taste it fresh off the still, um, it's just all over the place on your tongue, you know, because you've got floral, fruity, um, citrus, earthy, you've got, you know, juniper oils in there and they're just too much. And over time, they kind of just get to know each other, they settle down, everything mellows and that's what give you that, gives you that beautiful balance um, an interesting flavour on the palate. And then on top of that, you've got the beautiful aroma, which is 
the main reason why we've used cold vacuum still. Abby's life pre-gin making was as a scientist and it shows in the bottles and bottles of different spirits and liquids that she has to hand, each one labelled and precisely stored away ready for use in a next experiment. Can I have a look at some of these bottles? Yeah. I'm looking at these. Some of these are things that have come from our garden, like what, like last year or the year before? Yeah. Potentially. So yeah, fennel. Uh, so fennel pollen. That was one of yours. So I'm looking at a little tiny bottle um, with uh, with Sharpie right on it. It says fennel, and we've got 50 grams. Oh, I should read all this. Out. This is top, top secret. <laughs> top secret. But you've done different. Um, strengths in terms of different amounts of fennel and then we've done different temperatures, different yeah. pressures by the looks of things. I think that's what that means. I guess that's to work out what's the best temperature and ratio to, to do for fennel. Yeah. And you've exactly. done the same thing for a hundred different ingredients. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's, that, that's, 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 that's quite a lot of work. Am, am, I, am I allowed to... Um, yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll let you, yeah. Oh wow, that's so fennel -y. So, and this, this was, you know, this was distilled in 2019 and you've still got all of that flavour in there. That's amazing though, that something that's distilled, what, like 2019? Yeah. Has still got all that flavour, because I mean, we, we, we tend to think, oh, you need to, you need to drink these spirits before they fade, but that's still, but that's, that's not faded. That's one of the reasons why you came to us, was because you were finding that with some of your um, you know, steeping and maceration, some of the things you were doing mm. in the house, you just weren't getting the stability of the flavour. Um, you know, colour was changing or flavour was changing and it just wasn't, it just wasn't where you wanted it to be. So you came to us and we worked together to really like preserve those flavours and make them last, you know, so that you can really harness the seasons. And when you have a bumper crop of marigold or a bumper crop of verbena, it's not going to go to waste. At Cooper King, they have multiple different types of gin. A classic dry gin, a herb gin, a smoky, a spice gin, a berry and basil gin, and a zesty summertime gin as well. You could say there's something for everyone there, but I still find there are some people who claim to not like gin. I, I had someone in the restaurant the other day who said they, I, I don't like gin. I was thinking, that's um, quite a generalisation. Um, there's, there's lots of different things you can do with gin. It's not just gin on its own. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, what, what, what would you say to that? Oh, we get that all the time. And I love, I love it when people say that because I sort of see it as a bit of a challenge. And often when you ask them, well, what gins have you tried? They've only, drink, they've only drunk maybe one or two specific brands. Um, and it's so, that's all they know of gin. Mm. And it's so much more than that. And it's the same for whiskey. You know, they've maybe tried one whiskey and it's been really intense or it's been a peated whiskey or someone said, you know, this is my favorite single malt and it's really expensive, so you must enjoy it. And you can't because you're trying neat spirit. But they are so different. So if you've got a particular flavor or a food that you like, you know, if you like citrus or you love oranges, there'll be an orange gin for you. Mm. You just have to try it. And yeah, don't be afraid to add water to your whiskey or try it in a cocktail. If that's what you're used to drinking, then you know you can find something that fits your palate. But just be open and try it. And if you don't like that one, that doesn't mean that you like you dislike. So what we're saying is uh, drink more and try more different things. <laughs> <laughs>
Our single flavor spirits get woven into all sorts of cocktails. They give us the flexibility to create something unique that nobody else has. And if we want to design a margarita with a hint of marigold, then we can. Or a version of a Tom Collins with a tomato leaf. We have all the tools, but maybe let's not try that. Your martini is such a good example because I hated martinis. I couldn't stand them. I found them... Really heavy going, aren't they, if you're not into that type of thing? Just too much. Yeah, too much. Really intense and so strong. I just, I thought they weren't for me until, and this is absolute honest, <laughs> uh, until your marigold martini, because that just totally changed everything. And, and I've, I've tried more gin martinis off the back of that, and I've realised that it's, you know, it's the type of gin. It's, you know, the really light, fruity floral gins which I enjoy in a martini because they're softer. And, and, and delicate and, and and it's the dilution as well. It doesn't you don't want to taste loads of booze. It just wants to, I think a good martini you shouldn't taste it shouldn't just be booze. It should be Yeah. Um yeah, delicate and refined. Yeah, so even, you know, as a as a distiller I'm still discovering how I like to enjoy my spirits and my cocktails. Okay, just because I didn't like that gin martini doesn't mean yeah. that I should never try a gin martini ever again. While the team get to work on our drinks, James and I caught up with Chris and Abby to hear about how they got started. It started back in, well, back in Australia, yeah, nine years ago. So just before we went, we were, um, Living in Leeds, Abs and I were in our late 20s. I'd just qualified as an architect and Abs was a scientist with a PhD. Uh, we worked those jobs for about a year and then unfortunately realised we hated them. <laughs> um, and then much to our parents' dismay at the time, we quit and bought one-way tickets to Australia with no plans whatsoever, which uh, absolutely, it was, it was magic. Uh, flew over to Australia, arrived in Tasmania, so a tiny little remote island south of Melbourne. And we happened to meet, by chance, the people who made the world's best single malt whiskey that year. They'd literally just won it two weeks before we arrived. So we went to visit, and, and cut a long story short, we, the people we met making whiskey in Tassie were not from Scotland, didn't have 10 million pounds in the bank, had never made whiskey before, yet were making beautiful spirit that was being recognised on the world stage. So Abs and I absolutely just fell in love with it. Um, ended up visiting all eight distilleries on the island, wrote a monstrous business plan, spent two years away uh, and then came back to Yorkshire, where Abby's from, um, and decided to, to build a whiskey distillery, basically. It takes a lot of confidence in your own ability to just start a distillery. And while Abby brings the scientific know-how, I wondered what Chris's background as an architect brought to the party. You train as an architect, it's not just about designing buildings, it's problem solving more than anything. So whatever project you can figure out normally with a pen and paper how to work a way through it. So a lot of the same skills. But I, for us, I think it was being in Australia and meeting Aussies, just that have a go attitude. You know, we told one of the Australians, oh, we're, you know, we're going back to build a distillery. And it was like a slap on the back, like, good on you, mate. You know, when's it ready? There's just no doubt. And that's really infectious. So to be in that environment for two years after just quitting your job, like, it just snowballed, yeah, there was no way we weren't going to do it. The pair have set up the distillery in the heart of North Yorkshire, on the land that Abby grew up on. Her dad keeps bees just next to the distillery, which help to pollinate the plants and provide some honey, which also gets used in the drinks. But while the drinks and the quality of their produce is clearly an important factor in us wanting to work with them, there's something else too. 
Cooper King are the first distillery to be carbon neutral. In fact, their herb gin actually puts more carbon back into the planet than it uses. How do you achieve a carbon negative gin? So the key thing is to reduce your footprint as small as possible first. So as an example, in the gin, the, the base spirit is all made from Yorkshire-grown wheat, all within 50 miles of the distillery. Um, with the bottles are made from a high proportion of recycled glass, which reduces the footprint. So all those things that come together, we're then left with a tiny footprint of about a kilo and a half a bottle of carbon dioxide, and then we just offset that last kilo and a half, and we go a kilo more than we need to. So basically every bottle removes a kilo of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. But the response for that, I mean, Abby was invited onto Sky News. I was invited to speak to members of the European Parliament on the most surreal Zoom with 50 MEPs uh -huh. all across Europe. And there was us <laughs> at Cooper King in an old stable block <laughs> telling them how we'd done it. Um, yeah, it was quite surreal. But it's um, we publicly produced a carbon report and made that available to other distilleries and businesses to use because the more of us behaving like that the better um, and we have since helped other distilleries down that path as well. Small businesses like this are a force to be reckoned with. During the Covid pandemic they even switched their attention and their scientific skill sets to making hand sanitizer. We did it because we could, we had the alcohol in the kit and we knew there was a shortage so we made a tiny 10 litre batch in tiny little bottles and put it out on social media and said if anyone needs it it's free, just come and collect it at the distillery on Saturday and then we had a, I don't know, a queue of 50 cars out down the drive so then we decided to keep up a free supply for the NHS and schools and basically said you can just come and get it whenever you want um, but then the demand was so high we realised we were going to go bust if we kept doing it um, so then said, okay, well, if we sell it to businesses uh, and then we'll keep up the free supply. So we, we, that's what we did throughout COVID. So we ended up getting national contracts to sell it. And then we supplied, I think, over 50 charities and trusts across, across the country, actually. I think there's so many layers to what you do. How much of that do you think is easy to get across as a, as a, as a, as a spirits business? Or, or how much of it actually doesn't matter to some people and they just want to drink a nice gin or a nice whiskey? It started with when we crowdfunded, so had that founders club to help raise funds to build, that brought in about 550 founders from across the world. So a relatively small number to start with, but they were really infused and emotionally involved with the story. And I guess it's just kind of grown from there. But having the, the sustainable aspects of underpinning everything, that's caught the attention um, of a lot of buyers. Um, that and then the local produce we're using. So we work with Booths as an example, you know, English owned supermarket, but sort of very high end. Um, we've turned down the likes of Morrison's, we turned them down twice in our first year because it, working with the big supermarkets and the way they produce and what they do to the food system is not something we really want to align with. Um, but you know, we, we're a small distillery, we don't have a big marketing budget, but it's kind of grown organically and I, I think just sticking to our guns and just shouting about what we're doing and being transparent about it. So if you go on our website, you can see, we talk about where the raspberries come from. We talk about the kit we're using and, and who we're supplying and, and how the process has kind of evolved over the years. And that really draws people in. I could chat to the guys at Cooper King for hours. In fact, we pretty much did. And later on in the episode, we'll switch attention to the primary reason they opened in the first place, their whiskey. But before that, I want to take a moment to remind you about Well Seasoned. My members club is still open for entries for this month's giveaway. 
a stay at the Abbey Inn, and I can confirm that next month in August we'll be giving away a meal and stay at the Black Swan, where you can enjoy our 13-course tasting menu and meet all of the guys you've been hearing from in the podcast. And we'll be giving away another prize of two tickets to my home of food festival at Lord's Cricket Ground, which I cannot wait for. For all the details on how to make sure you don't miss out, check out www.tommybanks.co.uk forward slash seasoned. Now, before we return to Cooper King, a couple of weeks ago, Dickie and I had a little wander through the farmyard with an eye on the incredible elderflower that takes over one corner. So as you know, I'm keen to do more about ingredients in this series and hey there's a lot of ingredients in the, the summertime yeah exactly so elderflower has to be one that we do yeah oh i think so yeah i mean Absolutely. it's something i think that when it's like this is like entry-level foraging isn't it elderflower everyone yeah. can find elderflower right yeah exactly i don't think anyone can not find it but i think a lot of people might not pick it at its very best yeah because there's elderflower and then there's elderflower well seasoned members should have received my elderflower cordial recipe and dickie's about to tell you how to make an incredible elderflower champagne but it all relies on harvesting on a perfect summer's day yeah i mean like on a day like today it's uh in its prime look at that pollen it's just unbelievable so your fingers are just yellow now. So if you go out picking elderflower, you want to do it on the hottest day. I always say like, you almost want to capture, you can capture the flavor of that day. Like when it's red hot, there's not a cloud in the sky, the flowers are bright and bursting. If you make a cordial or a vinegar or an oil, and we'll share recipes on how to do this, you will literally capture that flavor of sunshine. Whereas if you harvest it on a, on a rainy day or on a cold, damp day a cloudy day it doesn't have anywhere near the same vibrancy and the floralness is just damp isn't it, it yeah it's damp and the color's dampened as well isn't it, it just isn't so i was watching that so if you take the head and bash it against your hand you should feel like see yellow come out and that's the pollen on the flower and if your hands are getting covered in flour and as you're picking your bag of elderflowers it's all you've got yellow pollen all over your t-shirt and your jeans you know you're picking it on a good day not so good for people with hay fever you might still find some elderflower growing nearby, or you might want to be making plans for next year. So check out what Dickie managed to create. So just coming back to the kitchen from, from Origin, there was beautiful elderflowers outside. Amazing sunny day today, so perfect for picking. Obviously, we're talking about that beautiful uh, pollen, which is where all the flavour is. So to start off with, we're just going to get a few litres of water on the go. So I'm going to bring that up to boiling. Put that in there and bring that up to boiling point. So just as the water's coming to the boil, we'll just add in 20% uh, sugar. We're then going to throw in the pollen-heavy elderflowers. So we've got three litres of water and then eight big heads of elderflower. So you can see the hands are covered in pollen as well. So once we've done that, that's just going to be left to infuse for a short while and then we're going to add a little bit more cold water just to bring the temperature down as the elderflower infuses obviously it's going to leach some of that beautiful pollen so it's going to start to take on a bit of a, a sort of yellowy golden color uh, classically elderflower cordial or champagne you would use lemons to give it a bit of extra flavor um, but Obviously here we're trying not to use lemons, oranges, sort of citric fruits like that uh, from abroad. So we're actually going to use gooseberries and 
it kind of is an obvious combination really because this time of year elderflowers bang in season and gooseberries are just slightly behind so with the gooseberries not quite being ripe they're really quite acidic so we're just going to slice up a few gooseberries um, and add those to the mix and that will do a, a very similar job so if you're at home obviously and you can't get um, gooseberries for whatever reason they're quite they're often quite hard to find in supermarkets these days because they've kind of fallen out of favor a little bit um, obviously you can use lemons absolutely fine so just peel them down uh, put the zest in uh, and then slice the lemon as well and just get it all in there get as much flavor from that as you can because um, you're just after that real sort of vibrant acidity just to cut through the richness of all the the floralness so next stage we're just going to leave that in a, a clean bucket and allow it to ferment for a few days so we'll just pour that into that clean sanitized bucket obviously this is kind of reasonably large volume so at home i'd probably just do it in a kiln jar just make sure you've well uh, sterilized it so give it a good wash and then get it in the oven to dry out so once we've got to this point we're just going to add a little sachet of champagne yeast and that's just going to kickstart the secondary fermentation so it sounds really fancy but you can pick it up off amazon or high street shops for you know less than a pound a packet it's it's really good value stuff add in the champagne yeast give that a little a little whisk in dissolve that and then we're just gonna fill up these bottles here once it's bottled you just have to wait for nature to do its thing It, it seems really complex making your own champagne but actually this process is very similar to what you know a large-scale champagne producer would actually do just with a bit more tech whether you're making an alcohol-free cordial or a slightly more potent elderflower champagne this could be just the start of your drinks making journey the thing i love the most is experimenting and hey that's how most drinks started out it's the first champagne i've ever had out of a mug oh, it's yeasty isn't it it is yeasty. The other part comes through well. I feel like it's got a bit of like, it must taste a bit sort of woody, doesn't it? Mm. Well, I love it. It's more, It's got that sort of cider like vibe in terms of, not in terms of apple, but like, you know, in terms of like good homemade cider has that um, yeasty sort of element to it. You can really taste that. Mm. Yeah, you can. It's delicious. It's very refreshing, very savory. Earlier, my brother James and I visited Cooper King Distillery to produce some of our unique single-flavoured spirits and find out the secret behind their very special gins. But they told us that the distillery was inspired by a visit to the whiskey distilleries of Tasmania on the other side of the world. And, as if to prove their point, they've asked us into the mashing room to see how they're also making whiskey in a very special way. Yeah. So this is quite time sensitive then? Yes, it is. So yeah, we've got hot water going into the mash tun currently um, and that's got to be nice and warm, ready to receive the barley. So we make our whiskey with uh, Marisota barley, which is heritage grain. Um, so Chris is just pouring that into the hopper now. Whiskey is made in stages and the first stage at Cooper King is adding malted barley to the water. There's a huge vat you can only see into by climbing on a ladder which has the required water and then there's around a dozen huge bags of barley which need to be fed one after another into a pump which leads up into that vat. 
Big distilleries that produce much higher volumes than us, would, this would all be mechanised. Yeah. Um, but we do everything by hand, so it's a bit slower, but it, it's ba basically making a giant porridge. The smell in here is incredible, sticky and rich. I mean, it smells delicious. One of the team is atop the ladder, constantly stirring. Chris is working hard to keep the bags emptying. And, well, I'm taking a back seat, taking it all in. So the noise has stopped now. Um, Chris has been working very hard, loading all those uh, bags of barley. What's the, what's the next step now then? So now that uh, mash is going to rest. Um, so that's going to sit there for well over an hour. Uh, have a look. I'd love a look. How often are you doing this then? Every week. So it's a once a week job? It's a once a week job. Every Thursday is, um, is mash day. Right, so I'm climbing up this ladder. Oh, wow. Oh my God, you know that smells incredible. It's great, huh? Well, it smells like, like, the, like bread. Really bready, biscuity. Mm. And it's amazing that from you know, from like a sort of bready, malty grain, mm. you can get these incredible tropical flavors coming from it at the end of fermentation. Like if you went to someone's house and it smelled like that, you'd be like, oh, that's a nice house, isn't it? <laughs> like yeah. bread and biscuits and like. So mm. we have this every week, every Thursday. So you make 100 liters of whiskey a week? Just, no, so yeah. it's like, yeah, 100 liters goes into cask, yeah. The spirit that the guys are making now won't become whiskey for at least three years, and that's how long it takes to mature in barrels and build up the sophisticated flavors that you would expect. But, so we think ours will be ready somewhere between sort of three and five years, because we're maturing in small casts, so it's a lot, quick, lot quicker than in wow. Scotland. But that's a long, long time to it's wait. It's a big investment for a long time, isn't it? And that means that while Abby and Chris have been doing this process every week, they won't know for sure what the end product tastes like until the first barrels are ready. And I thought my produce took a long time. I was interested to know whether any part of the whiskey making process might be seasonal. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised to know that it was. Can whiskey actually be seasonal? Yes. You get a very different spirit between the summer and the winter. So we've actually reduced our fermentation time down by a day during the summer because we were finding that it was just a bit too long and it was too long at warm temperature. So we cut it back um, and then we do slightly longer in the winter to get the flavor that we want. But you can taste the difference ever so slightly in the new make. Really? So if you were to try two of your new makes from six months apart, you would know, or you would you would know sort of what time of year they'd been made. You could probably. It would take us a little while. Yeah, try a few side by side, and you'd yeah. be able to see. Okay, well, this one we've got a bit more fruit. Maybe this one's a bit less fruit, but it's a bit more nutty. Say so. that's fascinating. But. So changes in the weather day by day can make a difference to how the spirit will taste. The guys will add yeast into the vat, and then all the sugars that come out of the grain can ferment, and that's where the magic happens. And then the spirit is placed into barrels, but not just any old barrels. For the last stage of our tour, Abby and Chris took us into their secret storage room where three years of maturing whiskey is aging. Oh, so this is a bit like walking to Dickie's okay. Palace of Preserves, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh wow! In you go. go on. Oh this my is goodness! A of preserves. Oh wow! It just—it's like oak whiskey. All these beautifully stamped casks. I thought the alcohol unit we had at the farm was a potent mix, but this is something else. The air is heady and thick with well, booze. Because we're only filling 50 casks a year, we instead of going to a, a broker and just buying 50 casks from them, we would rather go and meet the people who are producing the spirit that's been in these casks first. So we went and visited small bourbon distillery. They empty their casks fresh, put them on a pallet, send them straight to us door to door. So when they say B-O-U, is that bourbon, bourbon. and then that's rye? Yeah, rye whiskey. Uh, there's a yeah. Madeira there. We've got There'll be some cognac. Cognac, armagnac. It's in here that something very special is happening. James came to create a unique black swan mash around nine months ago. We've not had a chance to see, smell, or taste how it's developing, but I'm hoping that's about to change if we can find the right barrel. Where's one two four? Can anyone see one two four? Oh, is it in the other container? I don't know. It's Oh, I found it. I oh, found you. Hey. Um, oh, wow, yep. look at that. That's, that's amazing. So that's a 100 litre bourbon cask, um, which came from Kentucky, and we filled that about eight months ago. So that's just at the start of its journey, but it will be starting to take on some of those nice, sweet bourbon notes. But that probably won't be ready to bottle for another few years yet, James, so you're yeah. just going to have to be patient with is that. It, that is not is a it, virtue that James I, I, has. Can we taste some now? Can we taste a little sample? Yeah, why not? Wow, yeah, that'd be amazing. To get inside, Abby's got a tool for that. A brilliantly named tool. So I'm going to take the bung out of this cask. It's quite... Agriculture, isn't it? You just hit it with a. <laughs> just hit it with a hammer until it comes out. Nothing technical. Um, and what's this tool? So it's like a long. Yeah, so this is a, this is a spirit thief. So we are literally. A going spirit to, thief? Spirit yeah, thief. Yeah, that's its name. Oh, that is a great name. So I'm just going to mix up the spirit inside so we get a nice even sample. So that's going to be at cast strength. That's probably around 59%. <laughs> This this whiskey smells amazing. Well, it's not whiskey. Sorry, this 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 um, new make that's been yeah. aged for eight months. Yeah, it smells you, amazing. Us. You've got loads of the character there. So that that's the that is Cooper King, you know, our spirit character. Really appley, malty. You know, I'm looking at it's and the, the new make was clear. And this has got a slight kind of just little hint of um, golden, kind of a bit golden color, but not like you know whiskey's like. A dark gold, isn't it? So it's just started. You can see it's starting to take a little bit of the colour from the barrel. Yeah, and you should be getting some of that nice vanilla coming through now from the oak. You'll be that getting some the sweetness from the bourbon. Uh, smell I got was was vanilla yeah. and sort of just sweet oak. I suppose you get you're imagining from a bourbon cask that vanilla is going to be one of those predominant flavours. Mm. Yeah, because that's what you get in bourbon, isn't it? Over time, we might start to see some spice, some clove. And um, bourbon casts are really good for bringing sort of coconut notes as well. Yeah, I get that. How is it, James? Did you try it? Mm, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Can we bottle it now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I cannot wait for this to be available for our guests. And Nevik and James, he's already planning what to do with the barrel once it's used too. 
<laughs> if we uh, oh no way no no we're going to have it on the top of the bar filled with cocktail so when Abby and Chris finally let one of these go and I appreciate they want to refill them a couple of times yeah. but when you finally let one go I'm going to fill it with Negroni and oh. put it on the, on the on the top of the bar and you're just going to be a tap on it sorry you're going to fill it with Negroni but that's a hundred litres of Negroni in oh I reckon James we'd have a go Having our own whiskey and creating our own distillates, it might feel like a lot of effort, but that's exactly why we do it. I do think that our guests can taste a difference, and going forwards, we'll tell even more of the seasonal story behind the drinks we serve. It's thanks to Cooper King that we can proudly say that you won't find the same drink selection anywhere else. Thanks very much for having us, guys. That was absolutely fascinating. I've learnt loads. I just need to go sober up now. <laughs> yeah, absolute Great. pleasure. Thanks and for uh, yeah, come back again in a few years, and we'll we'll try the whiskey. I'm looking forward to uh, coming back regularly to taste that. <laughs> Don't let him bottle that too early. <laughs> I feel like he'd bottle it now if you let him. If you ever wonder where he's gone, he's not come home in a little while. You know where he's going to be in that shipping container. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sobering up in there, through there. <laughs> If you're up in our area, I recommend paying Cooper King a visit. They offer distillery tours every Saturday. Make sure you come away with a bottle of gin as well. And you can see exactly how the spirits are made. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. And maybe it's inspired you to try something different next time you order a drink. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast. It's presented by me, Tommy Banks, and my producers are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.